It is July 8, 2020, from the bunker. It's lawyer talk off the record on the air uh, here at 511 Studio C. Still in sort of semi-open, semi-lockdown mode here in the big city of Columbus. That's Columbus. We still live in Columbus, Ohio. This would normally be a Blitz Wednesday, but uh, they are off for the week. So we are just going to carry the show on our own. Lots to discuss here today on what's going on, at least in our city and probably cities across the USA. Uh, I'd like to cover uh, more state than city. More state than city, yes. So cities and states and local governments across counties. the USA. Counties. Yeah. Counties is going to be a big Franklin County, Lincoln yep. County, Delaware County. And I think we ought to do a recap on 4th of July, what it was and maybe what it wasn't. So uh, anyway, let's get at it. Uh, and let's start there, man. 4th of July over. It was the oddest 4th of July I can ever remember experiencing in my entire 50-year existence. Not that I remember every 50 years of 4th of July or every 4th of July for those 50 years, but... You know, as a kid, I remember dressing up as the the three. You know, the drummer, the uh, uh, the 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 flute or the fife and the drum, and uh, I forget what the other guy was carrying a rifle or something. But uh, and walking in a parade. Really? Yeah. I don't. I, I never did that. Yeah, I did that in the parade. Wait, wait, where was the parade? My neighborhood, growing up. Yeah. Oh, in your neighborhood. Yeah. Just just not not like in like just just the neighborhood. Just the neighborhood. It was the thing in my neighborhood when <clears> you were a kid. What are you going to do in the parade? And they would all gather at the corner or up at the stop sign, and we would uh, go around the whole neighborhood uh, in in some sort of. I've been to that that neighborhood, and it's a neat neighborhood. The, yeah. We call it Ewok Village. Ewok Village in the woods, yeah. Because it was, woods. It, was, it was in the woods, and the, and and they got turns and twists, and then but then you yeah. got that main drag too, though. When you're going in, you know what I mean, like when you're entering in. Yeah. And. Uh, so that would be that's good. That's a good little community there. Whenever your neighborhood themselves are like, "Hey, let's let's do our own." Yeah, and and we did, and it was a big deal, right? So we would there would every kid would decorate their bike, and you would start like days before with the cray paper, and you would weave it through the spokes, and uh, you know other people would do something a little bit more significant. At one time, we talked about dressing up like Kiss. Uh, we were all going to get our makeup on and have the costume that fell through. It didn't happen, but that was the plan. Uh, sometimes you just rode your bike. Sometimes you just walked. Sometimes you just watched. Uh, but it was always a parade, and it was always a community uh, neighborhood event. In the Ozarks, they'd Reed Spring would do a, a parade, and you could always show up with your dirt bike or four wheeler, or I mean, whatever you want. So there'd be a whole group of motorcycles. You know, people bring horses, and yeah. then you got a group with the horses, and tractor you guys, tra- and tractor yeah. guys. You know, and the whole thing there. So I, I always thought it was fun to be able to be in the parade on my motorbike. Yeah. This is my little dirt bike. And you look forward to it. I mean, that was 4th of July. Now, I, I can't say I was thinking about uh, what it really meant when I was six years old. Because the one I, the, the, the one I'm talking about, I was six. It was the date. Uh, it was ni- 1976. And, uh, you know, we were doing the, uh, the three guys. And, and that's, what, that's what it was, like the, the wounded Civil War or the wounded Revolutionary War soldiers. Um, but it's didn't, it, it, meant, it meant something. And then afterwards, we would go to my grandmother's house and watch the fireworks uh, and it was something to look forward to every year, like something really to look forward to. And this year, there was nothing. There was nothing. I was also let down. I mean, usually every single street's lined up with flags, and you got the what do you the bonnets? What are the what are those called there? They're, they're like oh yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, red, yeah. white, and blue. Yeah, it's me too fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it's mm. not a bonnet. I know what you mean, though. 
Right. The, the, but a lot of places, you know, even stores that have them hanging up there and around the houses and everything. And uh, I just, I didn't see it. And I didn't even see the commercials that used to come out. This 4th of July, not just fireworks, but exploding in waterbeds and stuff. Yeah. Or, you know I mean? Everybody was having a sale, sale, sale. That was kind of trimmed down. We didn't, we, we rode. I, we put out, we rode the motorbike. Me and uh, Shorty and Pete went down and visited a friend of his in, uh, in, in Hocking Hills. And uh, we were riding around. I, w- I was happy with this. And we drove through Alexandria. Alexandria, Ohio is very small. And uh, when we rode through it, all the houses on the streets there and everything, I mean, they were all decorated out. Yeah. I mean, they had it going there really good. But, you know, there was no parades. Usually in Johnstown with the Firecracker Festival, you know, the, the fire department put it on. They got the, you know, they got the, 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 the carny rides and the hot yeah. corn dogs. And then they got gambling in the street. They'll gamble like five in the morning. But all, you know, yeah. proceeds go to the fire department. Yeah, the so 501c3 gambling. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that game right they get they got going on and they'll play that. And man, that wasn't there. It wasn't there. And, you know, I guess on the one hand, maybe you're saying, well, you know, the COVID 19, uh, we couldn't do it. And on the other hand, you're thinking, well, maybe people just hate our country. Or well, maybe it's some of both. No, that was it right there. That's what upset me. Uh, we got on our, our, our group chat there, and I, and I said, I was like, I, I was very sad this 4th of July. And I was wondering, I was like, I hope that made somebody happy. But you, you got to watch this media, and you got to watch these posts, and you know what I mean? But we all get there somehow and see it or hear somebody, or somebody even shows it to you. But I seen these two girls doing a parody of "Proud to Be a, an American." Oh yeah, I'm ashamed to be an American. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. And when I saw that, man, I was just, I was disgusted. I was, I was sickened. And then I started thinking about the men and women of our military. And I mean, what a just a kick in the gut. Well, this is going to get me on a bit of a rant. And how do they feel? You're right. It's like how do they feel? But if these girls are ashamed to be an American. And then you got a couple choices. You got a couple choices. You can figure out why and try to make some changes. You can explore what's going on and say, what's the fix? Instead of just belting out that you hate your country, you're ashamed uh, for your country, and, uh, and, and making that statement. Now, I don't know. I don't blame them personally because I think there's a lot of indoctrination going on in that regard. And You know, if there's a, I guess what I'm getting at is this, if you just read, and I did, I, I, we had a little text going back and forth. We had a text string and I did actually wake up that morning on the 4th of July and I read the declaration of independence. It gives me chills every time I read it. Now, some are going to be saying, well, it didn't protect so-and-so and so-and-so and and you're right. And that sucked. So what's the goal? Not to shred the document, but make it impact and protect everyone because that's how it was written. And so I guess the question then is, rhetorically speaking, what is the alternative here? Like, what is the alternative to that? Like, if you read that and you say, boy, how could I do that better? What are you thinking? And how are you going to implement it? And, you know, nobody seems to have gone that far and pulled the veil aside and asked, say, these girls who came up with that song, what would you do differently? What are you trying to do? What's the goal? And how are you going to get it done? In other words, if it's not the Declaration of Independence, it's, if it's not we want freedom of individual thought, if we want liberty for all, 
And again, obviously, when it was written, uh, it was imperfect in its implementation for certain. But, you know, that's the throwing that out because of that fact, which cannot be understated, of course, is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, that's the old saying. And, and, you know, if you just say, I'm ashamed to be an American without saying, what would you do differently? What are you identifying as where it went wrong? And uh, what are the things that you're advocating for? What would you change and how? Uh, nobody's asking anybody these questions because the the answers are, are probably really scary. I mean, it, it's like, all right, if it's not total freedom, then what is it? What is it? If it's not an, it, it, like, it, you know, Martin Luther King would say, uh, Frederick Douglass would say, these are, these are historic folks who would say, you know, this is the, the, the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution. These are, these are masterpiece documents. These are awesome. These are, these are, uh, you know, they're phenomenal. It just fell short in its application. Now we just need to apply it to everybody. All right. Sh- instead of doing that, what is the, what are these folks saying they want to do? Or are they saying they just want to do that? Uh, and, and if they can't, if they can't answer that question, then it just becomes this like signal that, Hey, look, I, I I'm with, I, I don't know what it is after that. I mean, it just is, uh, it's pandering, I guess. I'm confused <laughs> as to what they want. Right. What is it? I, I don't know. Because I, I've said it before, I, they have my attention. You, you, have, you have my attention. You know, what can I do? What can we do? You know, what, you know what I mean? What, what, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why they're ashamed to be American. I mean, we... Why we were talking about immigration before, you know, so evidently we are still good enough that all kinds of people from other countries desire to come here. Yeah. They want to come here. They want to come here and not stay where they are. Yes. They want to leave, which, you know, I mean, and, and, and we're free borders open here and there. You yeah. can, you can leave, you know, coming in, you can't, you, there's a lot of countries that you can't leave. Try to leave North Korea. Try to yeah exactly so it's like there are there are people that have to not only make an effort to get to the United States of America, that effort includes escaping from where they're from. Imagine that you said escape, like imagine that they have to escape. You're not allowed to leave. You're not free to leave or defect. I guess is the word that they would use now. Defect. Remember, like back when we were kids, like you you would hear of like these famous Soviet athletes that have uh, defected to the defecting. United States. Like I wonder why. Not really. You shouldn't wonder but why. I, I'm, I'm saying that sort of rhetorically like a smartass, but it's like, it, it, because it's better here, right? You have freedom. You can do what you want. You can, um, you know, you have opportunities to do things. Now, did everybody always get the same opportunity in our country? Absolutely not. Is that awful? It's absolutely awful. Is it imperfect? It is absolutely imperfect. And is it, it was it, and is it an injustice? I suppose so. What system is better and how do we fix it uh, if this isn't perfect? And, and you know, the, the better system I fear Without saying these, without let's just say the dirty words, Marxism, or communism, or social, or, or some government-heavy, crammed-down ideals, enforcing uh, people into what is significantly, decidedly, completely less than freedom. And so many people have a problem with the government. They have a problem with the way things are and where they run and. With it. So they want to give more power to the government. 
Yes. I don't understand that. It is, it is, you know, I guess I look at it this way. If we are humans, and, and this is not me. I mean, look, I, this is, there are a lot of smart people that came up with these, these things long, long ago. I mean, we could go back to John Locke, who had a contrary position to Thomas Hobbes. And before that, and you can go to Aristotle and Plato, uh, Aristotle being Plato's uh, um, protege. But, it, you know, it's like if you accept just rationally, Humans are imperfect. We are imperfect. We make mistakes. Even the best of people have made egregious errors in their life, not only in judgment, in action too. Or maybe your thoughts as you've looked at something or considered something, even silently in, in your own head, thing, you know, you may surprise yourself. We might surprise ourselves sometimes at, at the awful things we are capable of thinking about. Um, and anybody who's thought about, like, you watch a TV show, it's like, how would I do the perfect killing? What would I do? Like, think about that for a second. It's like, I've had that thought before. Not that I have any intent of killing anyone ever, but it's like I've gone down that path. And it's a little bit, um, you know, if you look, as I'm thinking about it now, it's a little bit disturbing, really. But but we're imperfect. We have that capability of doing these imperfect things. So take that premise. And I don't think anybody can, and, and you know what? Shame on everyone who thinks that they're perfect. You're not. Newsflash here, right from Lawyer Talk, right at the table at 511. South High. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. All right. So we're going to create a government out of parts, that is humans, that are imperfect. So we've got this imperfect uh, set of, of parts, material, to create a government. And the material and parts being human beings. And we're going to create that. And we're going to give, uh, we're going to provide our consent, which is what the this is what our founders did. This is what their philosophy was. We're going to provide our consent to be governed, but you only govern at our discretion and consent. And if we can revoke our consent anytime, that's sort of the start because we realize that you're imperfect. And then we're going to say, all right, so now we need to limit how much the government can do because we know that the government is imperfect. And the more it does, the more imperfect it gets. I think it's an economy of scale type of thing. It's like, think about your biggest mistake. It's probably when you're doing the most significant thing. Because you know, it's really not the, – the mistake is, might, may be the same, but the outcome might be exponentially worse. So if you're building a house and you, you screw something up foundationally, well, it might just be a little mistake. But the impact or the, 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 the end result of that mistake is going to be enormous. So the bigger you get, the bigger the impact of the mistake can be. So now we're going to create a government knowing full well that we have imperfect parts, knowing full well that it's going to make mistakes, and – how are we going to deal with that? All right. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to limit it. We're going to keep it as only to do the things that are absolutely necessary. Because we, the people, are capable of governing ourselves, save just a few things. You know, we want uh, law and order. We need an implementation of our pursuit of happiness. Uh, and we need that protected. You're not guaranteed happiness. You're guaranteed the pursuit of happiness happiness. and you have these God given rights, whatever God you worship. If you worship no God, then just think inherently, I have the right to be free to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I have those rights and we need a government to protect that from others, other imperfect people. So you write a document that basically says that. And then you later on, you create in 1789, this constitution that basically lays out, and they're related. The Declaration of Independence is directly related to the Constitution. It, it, like If you read why they're doing it, what's going on uh, in the Declaration of Independence, well, the Constitution becomes the roadmap to implement it. 
And it creates a system that is very limited. It's not designed, the government is not designed to have any power, the federal government that is, beyond what is enumerated. And there's some implicit things called police powers. We don't need to get into that. But it's like we're going to lay out the structure for this and it's going to limit the power of government because we know that it is imperfect, created from imperfect pieces, parts. It's so fascinating to me, you know, not only from a philosophical, but also, you know, a legal approach and, and sort of my own personal experience. It's like, man, that just is, it's such an interesting concept. So if you know that you have to build something and you know that what you have to work with is imperfect, how would you do it? It's like, how do you solve that problem? Because you look back on all the other governmental structures that have ever been recorded in the course of human events at that time. And it, this had never been done. You know, it was always some monarchy. And that was the King George problem. That was where King George was saying, don't you get it? God gave me this right to tell you what to do. I'll just, I'll just, don't worry about it, British Parliament. I'll take care of this. I will just send them a letter. I will send these rebels a letter and I will say, no big deal. You guys, I got this, man. You just don't understand that I am here because God wants me here to tell you what to do. And all you have to do is just listen to what I say. You just, you guys just misunderstood that little bit of it is that I have a God given right to tell you what to do. And I got your best interest in mind. No big deal. And he believed that. Believed it. Believed it. And he believed he had their best interests in mind. And lots of other people believed it too. Lots of people believe this that. is what he was supposed to do. So this is, it's that easy. So put yourself in that spot. It's like, wow, what, what an amazing uh, dichotomy of viewpoints. It's like we have a God-given right. We, the people, have a God-given right to be free in our own pursuit of happiness. And then you got old Georgia over across the pond saying, no, nah, you don't get it. God gave me the right to tell you what to do because I got your, you know, I got you. I got your backs. No big deal. Just do what I say. And, you know, our people, we, the people, laughed at that thought. It was so fundamental, self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? I mean, it was self-evident that we, the people, could govern ourselves and had these rights. And all we needed the government to do was, was give us a little bit of structure, protect against others trampling, trampling, uh, preventing us from those things in a way that impeded it. Um, now, we should talk about it because, look, the founders had their slaves. They had their they were imperfect themselves, which is another fascinating point on this. Um, but I guess I, I, I would I would say this if and I've read some of this stuff like I've read uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, some of the dialogue he had with Ben Franklin. Uh, I've read uh, quite a bit about it actually, and it's sort of fascinating. They, like, he knew that uh, he he was a, he was a hypocrite in a lot of ways. He knew the evil that slavery was evil, and he said so. Yet he engaged in it, had affairs, kept him enslaved. I mean, horrible stuff on that side of it. On the other side, he's thinking, "Man, I wish I could create this country and get rid of slavery." And he was sort of conflicted. Like if he if he renounced slavery in his home state of Virginia, then he wouldn't be on the Virginia. Um, in the Virginia, whatever they called their Congress at that time. So he would, he was afraid he was going to lose his power structure to implement anything. So they were sort of in this, um, in this dilemma where they could say, all right, we can create a federal government, uh, and not get rid of slavery now, leave that problem for later, or we can create no federal government. 
and we're you know then slavery exists forever now it wasn't just that simple of an equation there was a lot more moving parts to it but you weren't going to get the southern states at that time or the southern colonies at that time rather to join in and create the united states government because there was 13 colonies and some of them had their own mind of being like ah, we just left over there you want to control us now i think we're good here on our own yeah we came here for a reason yes to be free to and, do what we want and so but we needed the union we we needed the union. It was it was there was a need for it, and there was a need to keep it limited, and there was a need to keep things organized. I mean, it's again this interesting balance of different power structures at play, and then you get the uh, the colonies that would never have joined if they couldn't keep uh, their slaves, their slavery. Uh, so here's the question, and I'm asking sort of rhetorically here: Does that poison the well? for the rest of the existence of the United States of America? Or can we say, all right, well, at least we formed a country and then we lost 800, I don't know how many men were lost in the Civil War, you know, what, less than 100 years later, uh, 800,000 men or something like that died uh, to end slavery. And in, in, in frankly, was a conflict, and I think we talked about this last time too, was a conflict, um, slavery was obviously at the, at the heart of it, but it was bigger than that in the sense that, you know, I think the southern states would have said, wait a minute, we gave consent. We hereby revoke consent. We don't want to be part of the federal government anymore. So we're just going to create our own government and have slavery. And the north, the northern states, think about what happens if they say, okay, you're right. In other words, we don't need to fight this war. You're right. We're not going to do it here. You do what you want down there. Good luck. How long does it go on? Like I, I pondered this, and I'm sure there's smarter people and historians who have, who, who have given opinions, and, and I don't know. I'm just coming up with this on the fly here, but think about this. It's like uh, we fought a war that, in theory, the southern states thought they had a right to succeed or to secede uh, from the Union uh, because of the very foundational documents that created the Union said, we do this by consent only, and we hereby revoke it. We don't, the, you know, there, there comes a time when we want to revoke our consent because of government overreach, or words that affect in the Declaration of Independence, um, and we're doing it. And, you know, it, it almost resulted in a fractured United States of America. And it wouldn't have been that out far out of the realm of what was normal at the time, right? I mean, these, the, the, you still had individual states doing individual things. Things were left to the states to decide it. Um, this is federalism. Now, what's interesting, I've heard debate about this recently. It's like, no, our country's just too big. Just too big, too large, and there's too diverse. You know, we just can't get along. We can't do. Uh, we can't. We can't all be. You know, it just doesn't work. It's too big. We need individual. Like Europe has these individual countries. Like somehow they're the they're the litmus test for success. But um, you know, in a way, there is some. There is some. Uh, uh, there's a point to be made there, but it may not be the point they want. I mean, we had that. We that, that, that it's a concept called federalism. Our founders understood that. That what. Boston and Massachusetts, or Boston as a city, Massachusetts as a, as a state, uh, wanted and their interests and their people were different than what, say, Virginia or uh, Carolina or Georgia. You know, it's like they were different. Uh, but we created a federal government anyway, letting that happen. Except the one thing that was intolerable to the United States of America, at least 
most of the United States of America, or half, I suppose, the North, if you're going to take sides, was slavery. So we ended it at the cost of almost fracturing the the country, uh, the hundreds of thousands of, of folks dead died for that. And, you know, that didn't end it, of course. And there was, there was Jim Crow and there was awful discrimination and there was, you know, the awful stories. Of, I think all that stuff happened too, but we did set on this journey to end it, which, you know, it's something, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, I mean, isn't it something? And I, I guess I don't see. We ended it. It still exists today. It still exists today. Slavery exists in the world today. Slavery existed in the world then. Now we ended it here in the United States and there are relics of it. And I think I would be, I would be remiss then to at least recognize that. All right. So there are certain individuals. Uh, if you weren't a slave, you did, you had a head start in the world. Uh, you know, historically speaking, economically speaking, I mean, it, it, you know, if you, if your land was passed down to, to his dad and his dad and his dad and his dad, you know, if that happened or family, uh, yeah, to be sure. Uh, but again, you sort of have to ask. So, what do you do about that now? You know, it's like, how does that? How, what do you do about that now? And you know, at least that would be a discussion, uh, as opposed to saying we're just going to burn it all down. Uh, but again, if you just go back, if somebody stuck that document in front of you, that docu- those documents, meaning uh, the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution, as they as they sort of are as they stand today, and if you stuck that in front of somebody and say, what's wrong with that? Like, what's wrong? What would you change about that now? And I'm not talking about, uh, it, clearly there were things wrong with it when it was written, uh, at least in application. But take all that out just for a second, just for an academic exercise. Stick it, put it in front of us, and let's say, what's wrong with this? And what would I change? And, and st- at least have that conversation. Uh, but I don't feel like there's, a, I feel like there's an agenda to maybe do something not that but rather just rip it up and implement something else. And I'm here to ask what that something else is. And, and you know, no, I'm going to be really selfish about it. How does it impact my life? How does, it impact, how does it impact their life, whoever's advocating for that something else? How does it impact Jared Blinsky, Jeff Lynn? Uh, how does it impact uh, whoever's sitting, you know, the, half the world now listens to our podcast, so all those people. It's like, how does it impact all those people? Uh, what is the change and what, what are we looking to do? Because I hear all this, but I want to know what it is. Because I think you said it earlier, Jared. You're like, all right, so what is it, more government? That seems to be what they're asking for, is to put more control over there so they can properly handle it. Now, here's the problem. Let's go back to the <clears throat> beginning. We have, this, we have this idea that the premise, and if somebody wants to debate the premise, I'll at least do that. But the premise is we have created a government out of imperfect parts, out of people. We have created a, and in order to deal with that, we had to limit what that government has the power to do because we know that government is created out of imperfect parts. And, you know, if you go way back in history, uh, there's this notion that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. This is Lord Acton's quote. I think others before <clears throat> Lord Acton had similar ideals, but the idea was that uh, you know, we were talking off the air about this. Like, you remember the kid, like every now and then you would get in grade school or maybe even, I don't know, uh, middle school teachers off or teacher has to go do something. So I'm going to put little, uh, Joey in charge or, or, or little Jenny in charge. And, and 
it's like everybody's, everybody's got the same notion of what you're talking about, this little hall monitor syndrome where they start to get a little bit hoity. They do one of two things. They're either like, all right, man, rock and roll, party on, do whatever you want. Or you get like, I'm telling the teacher on you, you can't do that. No, I'm telling you, you can't do that. You can't. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And then it starts to take a life of its own where you're like, wait a minute. This isn't the Joey that I knew. It's like, what happened here? And power is what happened. Because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a narcotic, I think. And we've all experienced it. You know, I, I have too. And, and uh, if I'm checking anything in my life, it's my exertion of power and control and, and what I'm doing with it when you get in that situation. I mean, you have to, you have to be very mindful of that. And I think the idea of, of human nature is it's almost impossible uh, for, I don't know, say impossible for everybody, but I think a lot of people would really struggle with it. And where do you think King George got his his notion that God gave him the power to do whatever the hell he wanted to do from? Like, what is that? And the more power you get, the less you want to lose. Of course, right? And there's never enough power. There's never enough. It becomes the goal. And maybe even rationalized to the point that it is a subconscious or completely un- uh, I guess uh, I guess unrecognized uh, influence on what the person exerting the control is doing. So this is where we can talk about what's going on right now. Man, look how we did that. Each state has a constitution. Every state has a constitution. Yeah, all about the same time frame too, which is sort of interesting. You know, that's another fascinating um, factoid. And they're very similar, you know, to the federal constitution. It's like we had this thought that. We needed the three forms of government or the three, the, the three branches of government to create a check and balance over the others so we never went too far. Um, and the idea was the, the Senate would put a check on the House of Representatives sort of internally of their branch of government. And they, in turn, together would put a check on the executive branch, and then the courts would put a check on uh, on all the others. And the executive got to got to the point got to a point, the judiciary, but only with advice and consent of the Senate. I mean, it's like it's really sort of this fascinating thing that you would think it's almost too it's almost too wishy washy to work. Yet it did um, because when, when you can open debates, yes, and whenever you can have the checks and balances, when you can have each side. You know, not everybody gets the money. The House gets the purse. They can start with the purse. Then it's got to go to the Senate, and it might go back to them. Yep. Until we can hammer it out, work yep. it out, get through with it. And they led it to where you did need to give power to the states because they knew that down to environments, things are different in America. Yep. We have deserts. We have snow. We have, you know, I mean, swamps. We have, you know, we've got everything you could want. It wasn't the federal government's job to tell you in Florida what to do or you in, you know, when they started to expand into the West, you, you what to do, you what to do. It's like it's not um, – they don't know. The federal government, how could it? How could, how could you tell me from Washington, D.C. how I need to live my life in Montana? And with the richness and the minerals of this country and the point in time before the Industrial Revolution – if we didn't have a union, there would have been a lot of, I mean, can you imagine the amount of internal wars if, if we didn't have a union? And, and it, cause, because well, you, you brought it up earlier, people are like, it's too big, it's too big. Yep. It needs to be broke up. Yep. 
But if we didn't have some agreement, some union, some ideal of how it's all going to piece together and, and that we're all in it together, albeit loosely, marching toward, toward the same goal, right? I mean, Correct. It, it, it's, such a, it's such a fascinating uh, endeavor, really. Um, it, it just is really sort of a miracle, right? Or a miracle is not the right, really sort of a, a masterpiece of how it, was all, how it all fit together. Now, again, imperfect in the sense that, all right, we got this black eye because we didn't get rid of slavery and Jim Crow and all these other awful things. And, you know, to the extent that anything, any relics of that exist, then let's talk about where and let's talk about how to get rid of it. But I don't feel like that's what's going on. We'll get back to that. But we were on this notion that, all right, so now we have this balance of power. And what they did not want was one individual in charge dictating in an authoritative fashion what everyone else will do, meaning everybody. They didn't want King George. That is why it wasn't the job of the president to write laws. It wasn't the job of the General Assembly or Congress to evaluate whether laws were constitutional. It wasn't the job of the judiciary, the court, to write laws. It was their job to evaluate whether those, and there's some debate about that we don't need to get into, but under this concept called judicial review, it was their job to figure out if what Congress did passed, it was constitutional. So it was like this interesting little balance. And what, what would have thrown it out of bounds, what would throw it out of balance is if one side of government, one branch of government would sort of overstep and start taking on the role of the others. That is the balance of powers. And when that gets unbalanced, things get dangerous because then the power is allocated on one of those branches. And we already know the power is, is, is granted to human actors, imperfect people. And because of that, power tends to corrupt and corrupt absolutely. It's interesting. All right. Now, if you're going to pass a law in Congress, I mean, I think I used to, you know, I used to watch it. Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill. And it gave us the whole lesson on how that happens. So you got a good idea because you've been elected by your, by your constituency, by your populace in your state, say the state of Ohio, you got a good idea and you're, you're in a member of one side or the other of, of the general assembly and you propose a law and that law is X, whatever it is you have to do, or we're going to say, this is lawful. This is unlawful. People have to do this or not do that. And then the other side gets to debate it with you. The other side in the general assembly, they have these legislative debates. You can actually go down to the house or the state house here in Ohio and watch it. I've done that. It's really sort of fascinating. Uh, and it, it is like what you would think. It's like history. People stand up and make these long sort of uh, elaborate speeches, some more than others. I watched one guy in a debate one time. Uh, I, I can't, it, it was about uh, the gambling laws in Ohio, but he just said, uh, he, he, he really sort of awesome piece of public oration. And he says, I'm going to say, I can't, uh, I, I'm saddened, but I will also get the satisfaction in two years from now using those fateful words, I told you so. You know, it's like, but it was happening in uh, like you could be there and see it and, and somebody else, member so-and-so recognized and they debated it. 
um, sometimes they actually take testimony. So if you're going to do something that has an impact or needs an expert or needs some extra information, they actually take testimony. They'll call people in and say, who are you? Well, I'm an expert in uh, in widgets. Well, tell me about widgets. How do they work? What's going on? Here's what I want to do. And you get all sorts of information. And then they go behind the scenes. They grease the skids. They make their deals. They do whatever. But there's a process that has to happen, and it's designed to keep the internally the House in check or the General Assembly in check. And then it gets to go to the, the – they pass that law, and once that bill becomes a law, it gets to go to the executive, the president, or the governor in the state of Ohio, and they get to veto it. But they can then go override the veto back in the General Assembly. If they got enough people that are fine, they can override the veto and say it passes, either with or without a veto and an override. Now that it goes to the judiciary, and you know they, they say, well, Jared Blinsky, you're not allowed to sell vape. So you get to say, guess what? That's unconstitutional. I hereby challenge thee. I challenge that law, and I'm going to go to court. I'm going to go first to the Ohio courts. I'm going to say that violates not only our Constitution but also the federal Constitution, and then you get to engage in judicial review. And if they agree with you, well, then the law gets struck down. Like, Think about that. The interaction between all three branches of government has occurred with debate, with argument, with veto power, and with judicial review. It is imperfect. It doesn't always work exactly the way we like it. But at least it's not in the hands of one individual. And that's better than having the opposite. All right. Now we're down to the orders, executive orders, because this has been, um, you know, here, let's not even talk about the mask order yet. But let's, let me just say this. If you're the president of the United States, the governor of any state, the mayor of any city, the director of any village or whatever they would be, all up and down, all the way down to the lowest common denominator. And generally speaking, if you wanted to pass, a, if, if you were in favor of a law, you would go tell your General Assembly, your Congress, so to speak, to say, hey, this seems like a good idea to me. Make everybody wear masks. Well, they would start the process. Some senator from so-and-so in such a place would introduce a bill. And he would be just a bill sitting there on Capitol Hill. And they would have to debate it. They might take testimony from experts. They might do all sorts of things. Uh, they might talk to different scientists or folks who, who claim to know what is this and what is that. And you would have probably the nitpickers asking questions, sort of like just to ask questions. You would have others that might just go along with it because they believe. But there would be a group of people actually vetting it. And then – uh, they would decide, yes, we're going to pass this law, and here's how it's going to work. And because we have heard from all these people, we at least have some conceptual understanding that there might be consequences to this if implemented incorrectly that could cause people more harm than good or have what we call unintended consequences. Because, you know, you can't just say this, and if you haven't considered, say it's going to be this way, issue, issue this law or write this law and say, all right, that's it, and nothing else. Um, because... Who is one individual to say, I'm going to be able to foresee all the potential problems with this, all the impact of this, all the uh, blowback, all the unintended consequences, all the bad things that might be caused by trying to fix something, you might cause more harm than good or at least equal harm as you would good. And that is why you have these congressional debates. All right. Now we got emergency powers. They exist. Part of our, I mean, 
Nobody, and, and I don't Patriot think Act. the Patriot Act. I mean, some of the, and some of this I don't agree with. I think that the fewer <clears throat> emergency powers, the better, because once you start declaring things emergencies, once you open up that door, there it, it is not obvious to me when the door shuts, or how big the door is, or how many trucks you can drive. Through it's an that emergency because I say it's an emergency. And is there any vetting of that? Is there any thought that maybe it's an emergency only to only to the one actor, the person? My three with people the power? say it's it's an emergency, so it must be right. It has to be. And now that I've got an emergency, I'm the executive. Say I'm a governor of a state, and I declare an emergency, and therefore I have to act. All right, I would say. If I'm if I'm just looking at this, and I'm not talking law, I'm not talking about what it is. I'm talking about a, a decent conceptual understanding of it. If there's an emergency, that just by its own implication, you talked about a fire the, earlier. You came upon a fire, uh, a neighbor, and you ran in, and you actually carried out an elderly woman. There was an emergency, and did you even think about it? I didn't think that was. Uh, we were t- telling the story. I was two doors down. A little girl comes out yelling, fire, fire. We knew who lived there. I looked over, saw smoke and flames, and I ran. And I ran up there, and she said, Grandma's inside. I helped get her out. And I got I laid into by the fire department when they showed up. Right, because they've had plenty of time to think about it. They've been trained. They've had all this stuff. But you had an emergency that you had to deal with, and you know it worked out for you. You risked your life. Maybe her life too. Who knows? But it's like it worked out. But the fact is, it was an emergency, and you couldn't, you you wouldn't, shouldn't, and couldn't criticize that. At least not too much. I mean, because you had to act. It was an emergency. You didn't have time to vet the options completely. I would say that again. You didn't have time to vet, meaning discuss, meaning get input, meaning. Uh, get multiple opinions about what was the right move. I mean, imagine if you just stopped there and said, hold on, let me pull the neighbors here and say, I know there's an old lady in there. I live here and I know she watches those kids. What do you guys think? Should I go in? What's the pros? What's the cons? Should I, um, you know, maybe I should just go home and get a respirator of some sort, or maybe I should take some time, go to the hardware, get this, or maybe I should just wait for the fireman. You know, what do you guys think? And by the time you get an answer from everybody, she's dead. You had an emergency. Yes. Didn't have time to act. All right. Now, what if you did have time to act? What if you did? You, you, I'm trying to come up with a scenario that in yours, like you got her out, and now you have to reconsider whether you're going to go back in and get the family uh, heirloom painting. All right, that's not as dire of an emergency. Now First of all, it's not life and death. Um, but you know, now at least you've got all the humans are safe. The people are safe. Now you can actually take some time and kick it around. You got more information. You've been in there. You know what it looks like. Uh, do you go back in and you think, man, it was getting worse as I was going out. I was like, I ain't going back in there. That was dumb. Adrenaline did it. And it's like, whatever. I had a knee jerk reaction. It turned out to be right. I trusted my instincts and I did it. But on second thought, I'm not going back for the painting. All right. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, now let's 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 sort of bring this back to the real world. Say that um, the General Assembly wants to decide, or no, you got the you got a, a, the executive branch says, I hereby declare emergency. First of all, I would want to know. I'm just going to ask some rhetorical questions. I would want to know 
what's the emergency? Upon what are you basing your conclusion that it's an emergency? Uh, and what are we going to do about it? All right, now, if it's a bombing of Pearl Harbor or if your country's been attacked or if you're not sure, of, say, take 9-11, when there was a decision made by the government to basically shut down all, tra- all airports, that was an emergency to me. And there wasn't time to get rational about what we didn't have all the information. We just knew that this country was under attack. That's an emergency. You got to do something. And you, you were going to take measures and take actions and take steps that are appropriate to deal with the emergency. That makes sense to me. Now, what if they, what if it's, uh, what if like three weeks goes by, then they shut down the air or it's continued to be shut down and nobody has given any explanation as to how or why it's still shut down. So now at some point, after the fire is out, there's time to go follow the process. The fire people come, they put out the fire. Emergency over, or at least temporarily at bay. So I got punched in the face. Uh, I got to decide instantly, do I punch back and protect myself? Uh, And the law doesn't measure nicely how much force I'm allowed to use there because it's an emergency. But if I go back and say, oh, that guy punched me in the face. I'm going to go back and beat the crap out of him. Well, I had time to reflect. So it's no longer an emergency. My life is no longer in danger because I've left. Uh, I have time to use the proper channels to deal with that problem. So at some point, irrespective of what's going on here today, there's always a time when the emergency sort of ends uh, as an emergency. So just because you say the emergency ends, maybe we're not saying, in fact, I am not saying necessarily at all that there's not a concern. There's not a reason to do something or take some action. But at some point, it ceases to be an emergency in the sense that there is time to have a rational debate about what is the proper action. How much time is required? I don't know. It might depend on the the situation. But let's take this right back home. We had a declaration of emergency, what, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago? And here's what scares me is that it's still an emergency, meaning over four months, over four months ago. All right. So it's still an emergency over four months ago. It's still an emergency. And I'm using that as sort of a term of art now. It's like, I'm not saying it's not a a dangerous condition or situation or something that needs to be addressed. I'll, I'll give that all day long, but to say it's still an emergency, meaning There is no time to decide whether you should go into the burning house and pull out the people that are in danger is farcical to me. The emergency component of that is over. It is no longer an emergency. And everybody's going to say, yes, it is. And I'm not saying it's not a serious situation. It's a serious situation. There can be a serious situation and it doesn't have to be an emergency. I mean, does that make sense? Yes. I mean, I could have a serious situation on my hands, but it's at least it's at least the emergency aspect of it, the punch in the face has it's over, it's happened. Now I'm back home contemplating how I'm gonna handle the punch in the face. The lady's out of the house. Now you're saying, all right, well it's sure you say I shouldn't have gone in, but I didn't have a choice. I mean, what was I, I didn't even think I had to go. Um, but if I were to go back in and it's not life or limb at this point like property. All right. I can take some time and think about that. Maybe that main beam in the house is compromised. It doesn't make any sense to go back in to say, you can, you can, you can think about it. 
Now we get back to the basic structure of government. What if you declare an emergency, you open up the door for your own authority to write the laws, to deal with the emergency, and then you're unwilling to ever close that door? That is power corrupting, right? And maybe even unwittingly, that is power corrupting. So say the General Assembly is, look, I understand, Governor, I understand, President, I understand whoever you are in charge as the executive part of government, that you have emergency power. Let's at least put a timeline on how long the emergency can last before you have to get input from the normal channels of government. So why would it be a problem, I ask rhetorically then, for the General Assembly in Ohio to say, all right, at some juncture, Governor, we want to have some oversight over your power. It doesn't have to be right away, and it doesn't even have to be definitive necessarily. We just want to make sure that we still have an emergency and you're not overstepping your bounds of what your power should be. Because if the idea of an emergency is you don't have time to act and you just got to get it done, you don't have time to go to Congress or the General Assembly and vet it all out, well, that makes perfect sense. But when you do have time, should you have to go back and get that kind of input? And I guess the better question is, why wouldn't you want to do that? That's the heart of this mess for me. That's that's where I wake. That's where I don't sleep at night. I'm sort of a geek that way, I suppose. But that stuff it 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 scares the piss out of me. And they could understand it was an emergency, and you had your people, and you had your three, and and you had your advisors, and they're there to advise you, and that's what they did, and you're running with it. But then, especially when it comes to science. How many advisors do you want? Because you can find them on multiple ends with, you know what I mean? And, and both fair arguments, usually, on both sides. Yes. It's, it's hardly ever a consensus on anything. <clears throat> and if it is a consensus, I question it even more, right? It's like it's, it, there's always a debate. Uh, so you've had – nobody would expect in the field of battle, uh, and this is one of the reasons why things got so fun – I mean, let's just let's talk about uh, the evilest dictator of modern times. Let's talk about Hitler for a second. Um, what's fascinating about that to me is that putting this all together, and I'm I'm, I'm formulating my thought as I'm speaking here. But if you, we have, say, you have uh, the Atlantic Wall, which was Hitler's line of defense against the Normandy or the invasion in France, in charge of that at one point or after after. Uh, he got home from Africa and recovered. He got ill in Africa. It was a guy named Erwin Rommel, and he went, and his job was to shore up the Atlantic Wall, to basically shore up all the defenses. And he goes in and whips it into shape, so to speak, and he's got the Atlantic Wall all shored up. Um, there, was a, there was a debate about where, on the German side, where the invasion would come. You know, the one Hitler was convinced it was going to come at Pas-de-Calais, um, not Normandy. And we had done some, there's this spy called Garbo. It's a sort of an interesting story, but we had, we had disseminated some misinformation indicating that the like Normandy. The inflatable tanks. Yes. The fake, the fake armies. We had Patton's fake army sitting in London with yep. inflatable tanks and all the stuff. And we had, we had sort of created this subterfuge that, uh, that Normandy was a feint, that it wasn't really going to be in Normandy. Well, here's what's interesting. The German uh, chain of command did not permit, because Hitler was such a lunatic dictator did not permit the generals on the ground, the soldiers on the ground to make decisions like that. So they had a huge army down South. 
that had they have, had they have mobilized it immediately on the invasion, you know, there, there might be debate. I'm not the expert, but the theory would be they could have pushed us right back into the ocean. Um, they didn't, and they wanted to go. They needed Hitler to make that call. He was asleep. Everybody was afraid to wake him up because he was such a lunatic dictator. But he had absolute control. He had absolute power, and he was in charge. And even when they did get to him, he said, no, keep all our stuff down south. This is just a faint. It's really coming south. The next one's coming because nobody in their right mind would want to climb the cliff at Point de Hoc and, and do all. I mean, it was a horrible place for an invasion. It wasn't the best place. We had to create our own, uh, our own uh, docks, so to speak, or the, the, the sort of it's fascinating. Um, all right. Well, that's a, that's a situation where you had the executive or the leader, the monarch, the dictator, the authoritarian, and, and that, that was totally in charge. Nobody else had authority to provide any input other than what he asked for. And that was it. That was it. And we successfully invaded in Normandy and ended up winning the war. Um, that's, that was, that's a logical extension of what happens when one person has all the authority to make all the calls without vetting it. So on the ground was this emergency response that was needed, and they, they didn't act the way they're – they didn't go into the house to save the lady. Like their, their gut told them, bring the, bring the army up here. We need it here now. This is really big. This is a big deal. We need that army here now. Can't do that. Hitler's still asleep. We can't wake him up. Hang tight. Whoa, we're getting crushed here. These people, are they got a foothold on the beach. I mean, this is happening. Hang tight. We're not bringing the army up. And then when he finally did, he didn't bring it up anyway. So if you would have said, if all the neighbors were telling you, you can't go in there because the government will shoot you and kill you if you make a decision here, then you don't, and the lady no, dies. Then, yes, you stand back. Right, you stand back, the lady dies. So that's an that's an argument in favor of an emergency response. Um, but once the emergency's over, once it's all figured out, now you want to start vetting it. So here we have this situation where we have a government-declared emergency. And I'm not going to quibble with the fact, I might actually, but for the sake of this argument, let's not quibble with the fact that there's an emergency. Say it existed when they declared it. When did it end? And when does it end? And who decides that? Crickets. I don't know. COVID-19 will be here. Mm-hmm. Forever. When does the emergency end? You know, So it's here forever. It's like, all right. So we have this emergency authority to do these things that are significant impediments on the freedom of the people who gave you consent to govern. You have significant impediments on that. And this is the same power that can be used in any way, shape, or form, in a discriminatory fashion, in a benevolent fashion, in a war-making fashion. I mean, this is the same authority. You're giving the government the individual who is imperfectly human authority unchecked. And at the same time, here's what bugs me the most. Here's what, here's what, here's what really piques my concern. There has been two proposed bits of legislation and I am not familiar with all of it, but at least two that I know about. One would have been uh, back in, you know, six weeks ago, I think, where the Ohio General Assembly wanted to pass a resolution that said we have oversight over the emergency orders after two weeks. You have to vet it with a bipartisan committee in the General Assembly. And I'm sure there was some 
pork or something else attached to that that made it somewhat undesirable. But in theory, why is that a problem? I can't think of why that would be an issue. Unless you're worried about giving up your power structure. Our governor was, was it, it, I'm not sure it passed, but he's going to veto it anyway. Um, and then most recently, we had this law that was passed to decriminalize. In other words, not make it a crime to violate an executive order. And again, the governor's response was veto. Now, if the if the courts came in and said, no, you can't do that, that violates some other constitutional provision, well, that's the third part. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of how our government should work, right? That's the third government or the third government entity coming in and saying, no, you can't do that. Um, but what we have right now is a top-heavy via emergency declaration executive branch that can basically do whatever it wants and then veto or threat to veto any response that limits the executive power. Another one was the fines that were set during the emergency. Yeah. And then they went through and said, these are a little bit outlandish. This is a little bit too much. This is not reasonable. We need to lower it. Vetoed. Yep. Now, everybody's going to say, so here, here's what, and here's where our population tends to, here's, here's where the imperfect human uh, condition gets in the way of this and permits it or doesn't permit it, I suppose. It would be like, well, why? You don't agree that we have to all stay home because everybody's going to die from this pandemic? Well, who do you, I mean, who are you? How selfish are you to think that that blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying anything about the, the merits of any of the orders. I'm just saying, look, if it's valid, let's debate it. And if it's not even subject to debate, then why do you care? And then if it's not even subject to debate, if it's not subject to some contrary position that has reasonable sense and it's open to uh, a, a public uh, discourse and you're so sure about your position, then let it happen. Keep the order intact while it's happening. I don't care. But at least let that happen. Have some review process. But the public would the public tends to grip on to not the usurpation, is that a word? Not to the power grab, but rather to what is being ordered. And you either agree with it or you don't agree with it. Instead of actually looking at the real issue is there's been a sleight of hand here where there's been an enormous power grab out of the executive branch of government. And that's scary shit. And it's happening. Then you get the new things that we have here, which are uh, breaking up the counties and giving the nice color-coded system that they came up with. You got that, was it the yellow, orange, red, yeah, read and those. threaded purple? Let's, let's read those. Let me ask some rhetorical questions here as you read this. Because this is why, I mean, this is not emergency stuff. Uh, this could have been vetted in the General Assembly, for certain. The county risk level alerts. All right. This is uh, now, Yellow that, is uh, level one. Just so we're clear, this came out of the executive branch of government. Yes. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, where, the, this yeah. came out of the health department. That's yeah, executive. Yeah, that, yeah that's. Yes. All right. So a level one, uh, public, which there's in, in Ohio, and I'm looking at this right now, that they have everybody is at minimum level one already. And that is active exposure and spread. Level two, orange, public emergency, increased exposure and spread. 
Now, once you get to level three, level three is bad. That's what they're saying. Level three is bad. Is that one in red? That's red, and that is uh, very high exposure and spread. And then if you go further from that, the worst, which I don't know why they have four, they had to go to four, purple, severe exposure and spread. Now, I don't know what any of that means. I want, is, is, did they define exposure? Did they define spread? No. Did they define how they determine whether there's been exposure or spread? No definitions or information on how they're coming up with this. Right. So these are undefined classifications, and they're just using words as a, an arbitrary break. And the words are, are, are ambiguous on their face. So like more... But it's like big, bigger, biggest. You know, it's like this is the biggest. Well, when does big turn into biggest, and when does little turn into a little more? Butler, Hamilton, Montgomery, Franklin. Let's see up here at Cuyahoga. Um, what else we got here? Trumbull. Now you got all of these counties here that are in red. You know, what I mean, but they border up, and then what the red ones, as you would think, the ones that are going around it are now in orange there because. You know, you've got uh, Franklin touches on Delaware, Licking, Fairfield, Pickaway, Madison, and they have Delaware and Licking and Fairfield and Pickaway all in uh, the level two. Level three is where he has come through and uh, did the mandate for, uh, let's see here, effective 6 p.m. July 8th. That is today, isn't it? Today mm-hmm. the 8th? Yeah. Okay, uh, masks will be required in all red alert level three counties. So in the Butler, Cuyahoga, Franklin, Hamilton, Huron, Montgomery, and Trumbull. Now, with that, how long before Delaware becomes red? And then whoever's touching Delaware becomes red. And, and Lincoln, you know, I mean, now, now you've got Franklin County touching Delaware and you've got Lincoln. I'm in Lincoln County. They got us in orange, so it shouldn't be long there. And if you look into Franklin County, I said that earlier, think about the municipalities that lie within. I mean, Westerville is in both Delaware and. Right. So breaking down by county is somewhat disingenuous because like if I, I mean, where I grew up, I could have been in Westerville. I could have been in Delaware. I could have been in Franklin within like a, a child's bike ride. Yes. So wait a minute. If I live over there, I don't need a mask. But if I live right here across the street, I need a mask. Yes. Yes. Think about the arbitrariness of that. And to think, like, look at Polaris. Yeah, that's Delaware. And it's been annexed. Or hold it. Part of it's Franklin. Part of it's Franklin. Part of it's Delaware. Some of it's been annexed. Some of it hasn't. Um, it's confusing. So if you're a store here, then you don't have to wear a mask, but head up the road a little bit. Now you do. And this is for, uh, they're saying if you're out in public. Um, let me see if I can find the exact ones there. Uh, on that, it's... Yeah, the, the, if, if you're one person in a car, no mask. More than one person in a car, masks while, while you're in the car. It is. Um, while you're out on public, if you're, you're outside, inside, anywhere with the mask. Um, there are their breakdowns to uh, where you wouldn't need them. Uh, let's say you're in a business and you're working with somebody that has a hearing impaired. Uh, or if you have a pre-existing medical condition that uh, withholds you from uh, that. If there is an OSHA regulation, which we can get into OSHA regulations, they blast all this mask out. If there's an OSHA regulation for your work, you don't have to wear it. And so, you know, religious reasons, uh, they say you don't have to wear it. Um, but then, so, so, it, so it gets very vague in there. 
And then when they were asking questions, too, you know, some places like uh, Columbus does have a fine list. Uh, Cleveland, you know, you can get, you know, I mean, if, if you're doing this, you get, this is your bill. This is your bill. You know, it's anywhere from 50 to $400. Uh, misdemeanors. So really, they wanted to. You could do, what, 30 days? Well, it 60 depends days. on the level of misdemeanor. You know, all the, the highest level of misdemeanor gets you six months in jail, $1,000 fine. Lowest gets you a fine of up to 150 In between is... 60, 90, 120, 180. Yep. So, you know, then you got to figure out who is going to implement this. Now, right now, believe it or not, there's some uh, governmental and police uh, not working out and getting along. Uh, they have their differences. So once again, we have already come into this thing where we just gave the police a new law that they're supposed to go around and, and start telling people what to do, what not to do. And then you get the health department that can come in and do that. Now, they have put out there, too, that if you want to report, because they say go ahead and be a hall monitor, to call the health department, please don't call 911. Uh, so it's it's just very – Now, think about this. I mean, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, there is no vetting that I'm aware of in public, and I'm talking in public, testimony taken in the General Assembly. Opinions gathered, contrary opinions considered about what level makes what level that results in what response. I've not seen any governmental public debate about why masks work or why they don't work. I have seen on YouTube, on social media, through talking to professionals that I know uh, in the scientific industry, I have heard both sides of that. And both sides have a point. But the problem is not whether a mask will help or not help. The problem is you have the executive branch of government making that decision on its own. And I'm here to tell you after 25, six years in a courtroom, if you want an expert to tell you something, you can find one. You can find your guy. Yes. You, you can, can find one. You can get your guy. He'll go on your side. And it's never ceased to amaze me that there's somebody else who's willing to say the opposite. And, you know, that, that science is not truth. Science is a quest for discovery. So the, the shout down that we always get on these kind of things is, come on, don't you believe in science? You're a science denier. I'm like, no, science is questioning the hypothesis, testing it, and challenging it. Well, we don't have time for that because this is an emergency. All right, well, when's the emergency end and when do we have time to question this? Because what's, what's happening right now is, uh, is a unilateral decision that some people agree with, some people don't. And I think the problem is mostly is that people aren't confident that it is premised upon good logic and reasoning. And it very well may be. I'm not going to take that on right now. It very well may be. But if you're, if the people, if the citizens, if we the people are not comfortable or half the people or a third or two-thirds are not comfortable that this decision was premised upon good reason, logic, experience, and learning, then – it creates uncertainty that the government is doing what you consented for it to do. This is the problem. There is no end to the emergency. There is no uh, end date where, all right, here's if when we get to this point, emergency over. When we flatten the curve, emergency over. There was no way to determine when the curve was flattened, and now that goal has shifted. They keep moving the goalpost on us. And when people start doing that, when the government starts doing that, then it looks like overreach. 
then it looks like power is corrupting and absolute power is corrupting even more. And I'm here to tell you, and I will say it out loud and clear, when the executive branch of government, the governor of our state or any other state is against any oversight of their exercise of power, then that's a problem for me fundamentally. That causes me to question why and what is going on. Not to say what they have done is valid or invalid, but to say, if you're so sure about this, why won't you put it to the public for debate? And I'm not saying it's it's majority rules, but at least let the General Assembly, some other branch of government, take a peek. Now, generally in administrative law, when an administrative agency like the Department of Health acts, they have to do it. Uh, they can't be irrational. They can't be arbitrary. And it can't be imposed capriciously. Um, and what that means is there was some internal uh, discussion and reason and logic behind what was going on. Uh, but here, I'm not so sure that that's happened. And the reason I'm not sure it's happened is because when the General Assembly has asked, they've gotten the no. We're not going to let you. We're not going to get you involved at all. And it wasn't. And it was a bipartisan response. I mean, call it whatever you want. It's not a political response to me. This is like, this is we the people 101. I want to know what the executive is doing. Why in the hell the executive is doing it? And what's the power grab going on? And what's the power permission going on? And I don't care if it's good for me or bad for me. I mean, I really don't. Um, it, 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 it's about what this power is and how's it going to be used next time. Uh, all right, I got well, the next person that goes in, now that you've given this power over here because you feel that this is the right move, what are you going to do when you feel it's not the right move? Yes. You never look at it in a like Nobody has power forever. Nope. Nope. So it's like what you like today, you ain't going to like tomorrow. Um, I say this. I'll give you two examples. Um, it's It really started with maybe towards the end of Bush, Obama for sure started to, at first, in his first term, he's like, no, I don't believe in executive orders. Then he just takes off. Executive order, executive order, executive order, executive order, Trump, executive order, executive order, executive order. Um, I mean, hell, Trump tried to issue an executive order to repeal an unlawful executive order that Obama had, right? And the, the, the Supreme Court said, yes, it was unlawful. Uh, you didn't have the authority to do it, but you're not, you, don't, you don't have the authority by executive order to repeal that executive order. I mean, it's just turned into this nonsense. And the point is, is that I, I had this debate one time where, hell yeah, I would... Let's pull everybody over. Set up a checkpoint on twenty three. Let's get rid of these pills. Let's get rid of this, 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 and pill epidemic, and 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 shut down the drug corridor on twenty three. Let's pull everybody over. I'm like, well, what if the, what if the police then knock on your door at three in the morning and say they want to search your house? Well, they can't do that. Like, yeah, it's the same Fourth Amendment, jackass. Right. So, issuing executive order suspending the Fourth Amendment. Where does it end? I mean, that is the check and balance. The point is, you can't. The government doesn't have the authority to do everything. And then you get on the other side. We should just get, I'm going to issue an executive order. I heard it on, I heard Biden say it. I'm going to, we're going to get rid of guns. I'm going to issue, or Elizabeth Warren maybe said, I'll issue an executive order to get rid of guns. It's like, all right, well, that's a hell of a thing to say. Um, I'm just going to issue an executive order to get rid of the Second Amendment or at least do something that would be a huge debate about whether it violates the Second Amendment. And you're going to do that by executive order. Imagine if that turned out to be a valid executive order. What do you think the next person's going to do who loves guns or who is contrary to your position? They're going to say, I'm going to issue an executive order that everybody has to let the police in every time they knock because now this first executive order said, we're going to take your guns. It's like, where does it end and how does it end? And, and call them widgets, not guns. Call it 
Amendment X, not Amendment, not the Second Amendment. Call it something else and then try to think about the power and how it could be abused later because we know humans are imperfect. Therefore, the government created by humans is imperfect and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And they won't come. They'll give you what the numbers, like you said, they'll give you the numbers that they want you to see. Mm -hmm. But then a lot they're asked. They were like, what is the recovery numbers? They're, they're unable to find those numbers. They lost them. Something was on a memo, but they yeah, lost them. We don't them. know the recovery numbers. They don't know the recovery numbers. And in these same areas and counties that they're, that they're implying new regulation to, they might have, which we got pop-up testing. We have more testing, and testing's going through, and people are coming up, and they're not even sick, and they're driving through, and they're getting tested. Right. So the numbers of cases has increased, but number, ho- not hospitalization and not deaths. Well, and we don't even know if it's the number of ca- the number of known cases yes, yes. has increased. And when they say hospitalizations are going up, I want to know. No, they're not going up. Well, not in Ohio. I, I mean, I've heard uh, in Texas and Florida they are, but I've heard it. I've heard it in other states. But let's just take that fact for a second. I just started asking, "What's a hospitalization?" People look at me like, "What do you mean?" I was like, well, "What's a hospitalization? Does that mean I showed up at the emergency room?" And I wanted to test for COVID, and it was positive. Is that a hospitalization? How's that getting counted? And somebody say, "Well, of course not." Well, how do you know? Or what if everybody who tests positive for COVID gets admitted only for further testing and then is released hours later or even the next day? Is that a hospitalization that should count? And wouldn't you want to know those questions or the answers to those questions? Of course you would. Um, You know, what about – so a hospitalization, you show up with uh, a broken leg and that needs surgery and you test positive for COVID – well, now you're hospitalized. Is that for COVID or is that for your broken leg? People are like, well, how many of those there could be? I said, well, I don't know, but I would like to if we're going to shut down the economy again and make me and, – and there's executive orders that are impinging upon people's liberties. I would want to know that. It's a fair question, for God's sakes, to know how the stats are getting counted. And if you start going down that path, the more they shout you down, the more you better beware. That's all I'm saying because nobody ever does something with good intent uh, – and then not tell you how they reach their decision. Let me say that again. If you're not being told how the decision is being reached, then hardly ever is that going to be based on good intent. If this is open, if this is subject to at least disclosure, uh, then maybe, maybe then you know they're acting in good faith, at least. But you start to question the good faith when you can't get answers to these questions or you get treated like, you're a pain in everybody's ass. All right, well, I just want to know, what's a hospitalization? What do you mean? I just want to know, is there, because I've seen these little memes on Facebook. All right, what do I know about Facebook? Nothing. But I know there's this little meme that talks about the size of a, of a um, virus droplet versus the fabric. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it's a question. Why can't I ask it? Everybody knows that masks are good for you. So now we have, the, if, if in 14 days, what is going to happen if we see an increase in these red, in these red, red counties? No, when? When? When we see an increase. It's going to happen. So right. when we see an increase in numbers, the masks don't seem to be working. Shut us down. That's what this is. This is an incremental approach to condition us to be shut down again. And look, if that has good basis, disclose it. Tell us why, and let's define how you're getting there. That's the problem with this. So, and what are the numbers, right? So, and I would want to know. I think there's probably a legitimate question out there. All right, how many numbers versus, there may be a mathematical way to do it. If you have, 
X percent more tests now than you had before. Can you adjust for the number of testing uh, to somehow deviate on the number of cases? In other words, we could have had the same number of cases before, just untested and unknown. Now we know about more cases. There's got to be a deviation, a standard deviation in there for the increased testing versus, quote, spread. So if you have new cases um, versus old cases, are they testing and or do the antibody cases count versus uh, current? It's like I, I don't know the answers to these things, and here's the problem. Maybe they're out there, but it's not obvious where to look. Then, you know, they also allowed uh, the, the, the sports. They went through there on short-term, on short-term basis is what they're doing. They're running a test is what they said. And uh, has issued an, or an order allowing for contact and non-contact competition resume, resume for all sports teams. Agree to follow all of the guidelines in the order. And that would be testing of all players, coaches, athletic trainers, support staff, and officials before travel and once again, before competition. Daily symptom assets. Athletic trainers must wear face coverings while attending to a player. Coaches and officials are strongly recommended to wear face coverings when possible. Strict social distancing between players engaged in practice or competition. Immediate isolation and medical care for a participant who develops symptoms. Now, in that, to play sports, if you've got a budget, you know, I think Westville might have a budget. New Albany might have a budget. Uh, but you can get into some uh, rural to inner city sporting. You know, I mean, maybe it's not a school. Maybe it's just, you know, a league. They don't have the funds for they what I just it. read right there. So what they're doing is you got to pay to play. You got to pay to play. Now, who's not going to be able to pay to play? Well, like I said, right. inner cities have, and, and rural America. You're going to have rural America and inner cities. So this is going to immediately have a disparate impact on certain groups in our population, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on income or, or social status, whatever it is. Immediately. Was that intended? No. I'm not going to give them that. I, I don't think it was intended at all. But it's going to happen. And, you know, there's an old there's – there's an old in law. There was this guy named Irving Younger. He was a lecturer on how to cross-examine people. And it's, his lectures are sort of uh, – I don't know. They're they're famous. Everybody's seen them. And uh, if you haven't, you should. If you're a lawyer out there and you haven't watched the old Irving Younger tapes, you should watch it. The Ten Commandments on cross examination. There's they've been debunked or at least expanded upon now. But uh, it's a whole nother podcast. Um, but one thing he says is this: If you're up in a courtroom and you are cross examining somebody and you don't know what you're doing, you should shut up and sit down because you're probably screwing up. That is what is going on here. So if you're issuing orders and you don't know what the impact of the orders are going to have and it hasn't been vetted and you don't have a plan, then you should probably not do it because you're probably screwing up. And less is almost always better out of the government in my humble study and estimation of history. The, the more the government does, the more it screws up. It's sort of like I'm a woodworker and when you have a, you're trying to build a frame and you know that one of the cuts isn't square, but you're going to adjust on the other one and try to make it work. Eventually, it all falls apart. You can't do it because the one cut impacts the next cut, impacts the next cut, impacts the next cut. And even the slightest deviation on this will throw the whole thing out of whack and it can't work. And the more you do, the worse it gets. The more you tinker with it, the worse it gets. And that's what's going on. The more you tinker with stuff from a governmental uh, standpoint, the worse it gets. I'm not saying we don't need a response to COVID. I'm just saying, tell us what it is. Give us good numbers answer questions honestly, 
And for God's sakes, let's have some governmental process here that is already in place so we can be comfortable at least that we're doing the best we can as opposed to let's just pick one guy and if you agree with him, he's awesome. If you don't, you hate him. That's lunacy. It's not what we have. Look, the emergency can't last forever. And the only way the emergency lasts forever is if you decide, if you give the power to declare the emergency and declare the unemergency to one person. And that person, while the emergency is declared, gets all the power in the world to do whatever he wants and veto every freaking bill that comes along. Not on our watch, man. I think it was Yost that came up and was talking about, uh, now he said that his, he wears uh, a mask when he goes into to work, uh, that he, uh, his staff does when he's in his own office. He said he takes his mask off. But whenever Columbus came through, and that was before the governor. So I don't know what his reaction to it was there. But he said that it is unconstitutional to make these federal employees wear a mask through Columbus. Uh, that that may be. There may be. A, there may be. I'd like to. Now, he, he just he was like, I'm just bringing this up. He's like, I'm just stating this. He's like, I'm not saying that. He's like, I'm going to wear a mask. But I'm just letting you know. Can't do it. You can't do this. And here's the other problem. That's a good point. And we'll sort of close on this one is that how many people are not wearing a mask because they are so concerned with the power grab that they have distrust in the message. So it could well be that if you just said uh, it disclosed everything, you might get a little bit better response out of people other than having to bring them to their knees through government exercise of power, like making it criminal. And, and let's just talk about what that really is. That means that somebody gets to point a gun to your head and say, wear a mask or you're going to jail. And, you know, that, that people are saying, well, that's not exactly what, All right, let's play it out. You're not wearing a mask. I'm going to charge you with this misdemeanor. Show up in court. And if you don't show up in court, we're going to issue a warrant for your arrest and we're going to throw you in jail. All right, so you show up in court. And then they say, all right, you're hereby fined uh, X dollars and sentenced to serve 30 days in jail on the condition – uh, we'll suspend on a condition that you're on probation and you have to wear a mask everywhere you go forever. And if you don't, we're going to revoke your probation and throw you in jail. And if you don't show up for jail, we're going to pull a gun, point it to your head, put you in handcuffs and drag you to jail. Right. That's what this is. I mean, this is um, <coughs> when somebody wants to make a criminal, that's what's going on. This isn't the red light camera ticket. This is you go to jail and if you don't show up in jail as ordered, they're going to put cuffs on you, and the people that are going to put the cuffs on you are carrying firearms. This is this is a big deal. People are now going to think I'm some sort of lunatic. No, I don't think you are. Some people think we're lunatics. I mean, you know, Shorty hit me up the other day. You know, she was supposed to go to, to, to Meyer, and the Meyer near our house, there's off Hamilton Road. Like we said, it's all the branch, branch. It's actually in Columbus. You know, people say it's Gahanna. But or, or New Albany, I don't know, it's, it's just that weird area. And, uh, you know, she walked up there and it said, required, we require you to wear a mask. Big sign, it says Columbus Order, going through there. So she got in her car and left, you know, and, and, and she's just sent back, she's like, gotta wear a mask, Can't, I ain't going. So, I don't know, you know, it, it's not that she, it's not that I can't put a mask on and go there, but I will continue to shop where people, but I, I keep my social distance. I don't run up on people. I'm not screaming and yelling. I'm not, you know, yeah. and if you're wearing the mask, doesn't that protect you then from me? I don't know. Well, see there, there some people say, no, it's designed to protect 
you from me if I'm wearing the mask. All right, well, I, I just don't – I'm not comfortable that all of the opinions on this have been vetted out. And I'm extremely uncomfortable with how it happens, how the orders are being issued and the veracity of those orders in the context of the power grab. And the power grab taints the order. I don't care what anybody says. For a lot of people, the power grab, the edict, the issue of that order without the right process, in my humble opinion here at Lawyer Talk, uh, it muddies the water of the order. It taints the veracity of the order.